Good morning and welcome to Fencing by the Book, the podcast where we take an in-depth look at the early Lichtenhauer longsword glosses. I'm your host, Mike Swaridge, and joining us today are a change to our normal panel. It's Michael Chidester, Stephen Cheney, TQ, and Kendra Brown. Uh, thanks for joining us, Kendra. Sadly, Joey couldn't be with us today. Yeah. Uh, Joey couldn't be with us today. Uh, Jess Finley has also had a real life emergency. Nothing serious apart unless you're a plumber. <laughs> this is an awful introduction. <laughs> this is episode 27, where we're discussing lines 26. That's uh, not even that. This is episode 27, where we'll be discussing lines 76 to 77 on the Alsamina. I don't know how to pronounce that word. Fortunately, we've got a podcast about this. That's your Niemann, surely. <laughs> what, what are these? The Outer Conducts? Like, this is the episode that I know absolutely nothing about. But fortunately, that's, what, we, that's what we were hoping Jess was going to talk about. So <laughs> we'll have to just struggle through it. Yeah, so, so this is the podcast about the thing that I don't know and don't know how to say. Thank you very much for listening. Uh, Kendra, do you mind just saying a few words to introduce yourself? Latin in uh, combat manuscripts. I've been working very slowly on the Latin version of the Lev Gloss for more than two years now, and yet it's still not done. Thank you very much. So normally we'd kick off every episode by asking Joey to read the German version of the Zettel. Normally we'd find out what have you actually been up to for the last two weeks. Oh yeah, that, that, thank you. You should be hosting this. What have you been up to for the last two weeks? Mike, you got to sleep in for an extra hour. Yeah, I, I also stayed up late. I'm an idiot. Who knew? Good, good. Um, I mean, I guess we'll go in reverse order. So we have shut down fencing again in London uh, because of this whole crow plague thing. Uh, so that did for that. I've been working on a couple of kind of projects I had lying around to inventory actions and terms in the glosses. So I'm doing one on uh, words around stabbing at the minute. Um, and then I'll probably do one on preparations and prepar preparatory actions. Um, working out, seeing what ones are used, uh, where they're used, what patterns there are, that kind of thing. Um, it's just a lot of plowing through German and writing some more articles about teaching, which will start to go out on the new Hema Rocks website that uh, Keith Cotter Riley is running. So keep your eyes peeled there. Shout out to Hema Rocks. They, uh, they're also linking this podcast. Steve, what have you been up to? Well, I guess the first thing would be the fish lead, but I'm going to wait until Joey comes back to talk about that because she's kind of the main mover on that project. You yeah. <laughs> the second thing would be I was doing some experiments with timing, like, timing uh, different types of attacks and I had like there's well let's just say it's an interesting question of when exactly an attack starts and the long story short is I came up with a what I think is an interesting way of of timing an attack and it has other potential I think which is to use a uh, shot timer for like competitive shooting so I downloaded a uh, shot timer app for my phone. And basically what it does is you hit a button and like you can set it to like wait a random number of seconds. And then at that time, it'll beep. And then it will take, it'll like, uh, you know, mark off whenever it hears like a loud sound, which is supposed to be a gunshot. So you can like set it and then like stand in your guard and wait for it to beep. And then once it beeps, do an attack and hit something loud enough that it'll register and you can time how long your attack takes. So I was using that to do some experiments and also uh, I think it has potential to be like a, uh, you know, like a training game to, to yeah. work on your reaction time and to improve the speed of your attack. Have you, have you seen any improvement while you've been playing with it? No, I'm really slow. Everyone else in Discord <laughs> seems to be able to like attack way faster than I can. But uh... just because my understanding was that 
reaction time is not important. It's all predictive ability. Yeah. Well, what we're doing for like the uh, the reaction time thing is you can like in order to get a time for of the actual attack and like without factoring in your personal reaction time, you can take a like an oral reaction time test online. Like it'll it'll beep and then you hit the space bar as soon as you can, and it'll show you your reaction time. And you can do that and subtract that time from the times you get from the shot timer, and then you. Theoretically, you should be, if you if you yeah. have a large enough sample, you should be getting like uh, the time of the actual attack. Makes but, sense. Yeah. No improvement. Uh, I'm slow. <laughs> that is not See, my experience for fencing you. <laughs> no, he's just tall. Same thing. Yeah, <laughs> there, you, that's, there you go. To you, what have you been up to? Uh, well, we cancelled fencing, and I already talked about this. How about oh. Mike, uh, Chinester, and Kendra? What have you been up to? <laughs> Remember how we were going backwards? Uh, so I guess the cool thing that we've done um, in the past two weeks is last week we went to the Morgan Library and Museum in New York City and got to flip through some manuscripts. I went and they pulled out this enormous facsimile of the Morgan Picture Bible, also called the Crusader Bible, which is famous in Hema for its giant murder piles of like 15 guys killing each other with daggers at once and using weird swords and stuff like that. So I asked to see that manuscript and they declined, but they pulled out a 15,000 euro value facsimile, um, which I didn't even know that kind of thing existed, but it's 11 by 15 inches, uh, the pages, and it has giant covers, and it's all done on parchment. Um, so that was fun to page through. And they also brought out the facsimile, or the actual manuscript of the Morgan copy of Fiore. And that was what I actually came to see. So that was super cool. They uh, didn't want to bring it out at all, but I managed to convince the curator to let me take a look at it because it's currently unbound, so very fragile. It's just a stack of pages at the moment. Cool. And I guess the most interesting thing I discovered looking at that is that it's famously known for having these ugly black swords in it because they were once painted silver and the silver corroded. But what I found out is that actually it's entirely about lighting because the silver is still silver. But if you don't get direct light on it, then it looks very dark. Uh, but as soon as you put a light on it, then it shines just as brightly as it ever did. So it actually looks very nice when lit directly and looks terrible when it's not lit directly. So I took a whole bunch of photos of that. And that was my summer vacation. Kendra, what did you look at the library? The, um, a prayer book and an Italian chronicle. And I learned a lot of things about photography but I was examining the metallic pigments and copied artwork in those. Cool. So again, you're looking at shiny medieval manuscripts. Yes. I told the Morgan so they would let me look at the manuscripts in general. We're really just trying to look at pictures. That's all I do. <laughs> but yeah, the reading what now is about, isn't it? Yep, pretty much. But Morgan was closed due to Rona for like six months and they just opened at the end of September. So we got it as quick as we could before they close again when the second wave comes. You yeah. need to get those pictures of you looking at original manuscripts. Right. I, I was told by Jake Norwood once that the way you establish credibility as a HEMA researcher is by posing next to historical fencing manuals. <laughs> so you got to get those pictures if you want anyone to recognize that you're a researcher. Makes sense. No, he actually said that, that was what they used to believe and it was dumb, but I still believe that. So. I have a bunch of pictures <laughs> like that. But you didn't take any of you. You are looking at fencing manuals. How about a picture of me on my computer looking at Wichtenauer? Does that count? Only if you print out Wichtenauer. Uh, on your desk. I'll make, I'll make a little facsimile using my <laughs> printer. <laughs> <laughs> or at least put it on a tablet or something. I mean, come on. you got to hold it in your hands. Well, I'll print it on 8.5 by 11 and then cut it, cut it out, and it'll be whatever size it is. 
I'll chop up a shania and get the leather for it from it and <laughs> put that on the cover. Uh, I like that when you say yeah, where do I source really leather good. from? Yeah, your first source of shania. <laughs> Wait, did, I, I, I think they have to be more than one shania. They don't have very much leather on them, do they? I got one. Just I got plenty of shania. <laughs> Is is the Shinai with the leather sleeve over the blade a Japanese invention, or did did Hima make that up? No, that's real. It's a yeah. That that was the original Shinai. It was called a Fukuro Shinai. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right, but it was basically just like split bamboo, like freely floating inside a leather sleeve, and it was used by Yagi Shinkageru, and they would do. They used it for kata, but they could actually like hit each other when they did kata. Maybe they used it for sparring. Who knows? Somebody else, but I don't. <laughs> but yeah, a shinai with a leather sleeve over the blade and a cross, a wooden cross attached to it. That's pure Hema right there. That's early 2000s vintage. <laughs> the best sparring tool you could get in like 2003. The cross is definitely a Hema invention, yeah. Yeah, good times. A, a weighted pommel also helps. Yeah, innovation. I can't believe that hasn't been adopted in Kendo yet. <laughs> To be fair, they didn't hit much harder or handle any better. Maybe some sort of like complex guard for the ones in Kendo? That would be make it much more difficult for them to get your glove, right? Well, the target, <laughs> technically the target is like the upper forearm. Uh, not the wrist. Cool. Yeah, but that doesn't mean that you won't get a point for hitting here anyway because it makes a nice pop sound. Or here. Or yeah. like up here, depending on your judges. And how, the judges how just judge on sound. Yeah, it's always a judge's fault. Yeah, you just maybe they got electric scoring in kendo. Probably <laughs> <laughs> the day. Electric. Um, what have I been up to? Hema wise for last week, uh, we're out of lockdown again, so did a little bit of terrible fencing for half an hour after work. But kind of more interestingly, I've been doing a starting off a little distance mentorship program with someone in the states. And it's actually a, a real interesting mental, mental puzzle for wh what can you say to somebody to improve their fencing? It's actually useful and constructive because you can just stand there and be like, okay, you must stand in a river and wave your sword around. You must run up mountains. You need to do 10,000 lunges a day. And it's not actually useful for anyone. But also, you can't be there in person to to construct drills for them. Um, so, yeah, it's been a fun little challenge. Might even pay for this podcast hosting. Who knows? Well, yeah. All right. So, normally, this is the section where I'd ask Joey to read out the the poem in the original. And Johanna's not here. Does anybody want to volunteer to take first stab at this? Team, that was you. I'm all here, team. <laughs> well, I guess right. I lose then. Go on, T. Butcher this. With apologies to everyone in continental Europe for my incredibly bad German pronunciation. Zwei ausere Minne, der Arbeit darnach beginne, und prüft die Gefährt, ob sie sind weich oder hart. Nope, tripped up. Your turn, Steve. <laughs> okay. Um, okay. Zwei Minuten, der Arbeit danach beginne, und prüft die Gefährt, ob sie sind weich oder hart. Nach heißen zweifach trifft man den alten Schnitt <coughs> mit Mark. <coughs> <laughs> that was pretty good. I couldn't tell the difference between you and Johanna. Yeah, right. <laughs> uh, can you give us Harry's Harry's translation? Oh yeah, I guess I gotta do that too. Okay, you got to, and you got to edit the podcast. You just need to carry this show, Steve. Yeah. Well, okay. So I have to split this up. Okay. The ways to lead out are double. From there, you'll work and struggle, and determine what he seeks. No more than hard or weak. And then Ooh. broken up a little bit. Yeah. Ah, here it is. Chasing goes two ways. Learn it twice. If it touches, make a good old slice. Happy days. So we're 
We're still in Nakhaisen chasing after land, aren't we? Pursuing, yes. But now we're on to the good part. Okay. The Ausa Mina. And Ausa Nima. Ausa Neman. Ausa Mina. So, first line is a pretty confused part in the different glosses. Is that fair to say? I think it's confused everywhere but Lev, where it makes perfect sense. Yeah, that's because it's the best gloss. But it is. We'll get to that. It is one of the most, it's one of the more, and not really controversial, but Everyone pretends that everyone assumes that it's an impenetrable mystery. Parts of the class. Okay. It would be controversial if anybody tried to interpret it, but most people just sort of leave it alone. In my experience, yeah. that that was my plan, but then we made this podcast. So yeah. Zvi is two. Alsa is outer. It's in outside. And mine is complex. <laughs> okay, so the two outer complexes. <laughs> <laughs> so. I know Jess was talking about it being Mina, like pronounced with like an EI part, like a long I, which is something that I previously hadn't like like looked into or given any thought to because I always assumed it was just Mina. And I wish that she was here to talk about that. Let's start with translation. That Let's start with translations that currently exist in printed sources. We have okay. outward appearance, leading out, outer yoke, outside conduct, outer cattle drives, outer intention, and I've also read outer deception. Um, because no one knows what mina means, and everyone just does their best. So Apart from the people who are translating uh, Ringek, where it says Nima instead. And so they translate it differently. Yeah, because there's a funny, well, there's a funny thing there, because... If you have a word that's all N and I and M, then it's just a bunch of names when you write it down. So then you have to parse it however you can. So it's like six little lines with a dot above it, and you have to figure out which letter goes where. So, so there are some sources, mostly 16th century, that switch from Min to Nim because they move the M and the N around. And also because, I mean, outer taking doesn't make less sense than outer whatever Mina is. So the actual term itself shifts. Maybe due to spelling errors, or maybe due to people just developing their ideas about what it's for. Are we pretty sure that initially it was Min rather than Nim? Yes. As far as I've read, all of the 15th century sources, or at least most of them, are Min. And then Nim is most of the 16th century sources. Cool. Um... But it might just be drifting the technique itself over time. I mean, that happens. Yeah. It might so also with, be alternate textual traditions and surviving copies we have. So yeah. later on, Nim is like Naaman, which is take. Is that right? Yeah. Exactly. Uh, so we can ignore that. Ring X wrong. Tick. Going back to, to Min, when I was looking Unless at... the original Min was a misspelling of Nim, and then it just got passed on through copying. Common scrolling Wouldn't that be something? <laughs> with with Min, I translated Lever's expression because it was something about like the outwards appearance of something or the form. But yep. on on our other translations, the cattle drive thing comes from Naaman, doesn't it? Rather than from Min. Yeah. Uh, wait, yeah, okay. no, I, so I think that I think he's looking at Min for cattle drives. I don't know how he's getting there. Uh, Christian's uh, using that one for ring X, so he's translating Nim. Okay, yeah. So we can ignore cattle drives. Yokes. Oh. Any ideas about yokes? No idea. And this is yoking the thing on a cart rather than the thing inside an egg. Yeah, it's yokes yeah. in thing you use to pull a thing. All right. So that leaves us oh, like conducts. And really, what we need for this is we need a panel of translators. Well, one more translation. Falco Fritz, whose translation was published in, in Dio Pagadorn's book, 
translates it as striving for the outer one. Hmm. So there's that. I, th I guess striving would be his minor or min, which is kind of like leading out, I suppose. Yeah, I think there's basically a few different like senses that people have translated this into. One is the more based on Neumann as an idea of like physically moving something outwards or moving outwards. One is an idea of like trying to go outwards um, or leading something outwards or guiding something outwards. And then one is an idea of like expressing or shaping or an outer like an outer form or expression or idea. And those seem to right. like different translators have picked different words to exemplify those different ideas. But that's like the three big buckets of ideas I've seen used in translations. As for why. So in my you can give uh, us the Latin, by the way. Oh yeah, Latin first. Okay. Um, so the first thing to know about the Latin is the original translator was a bit of a wimp on some stuff, so he actually didn't do the Z at all. And also on this word, he wimped out. I assume it's a he. So the Latin version is forma externa, which is literally external form or outward form or appearance, any number of things. Yeah, I think that kind of goes with the uh, the Mina modernization, which but means forma like... Is, forma is used elsewhere in the Latin to just sort of mean technique or play. So this could huh. just be him avoiding Mina and just saying it's the outer thingy. Right, so just like outer technique. Is it like Stuck or like Treiben or... Not really. It's it's used a few times, but it's not the most common word for a way of standing or a way of looking or anything. It just like it's there a few times instead of something else. Uh, and, and here's the title that's just Alia Forma in several plays, which would be analogous to Ananda Stuck, but Lev doesn't have titles in his sections, so it's not a direct translation of anything. It, Paulus Hector adds titles to a bunch of stuff in German and Latin. If there is a word for Stuck, it's probably habitus, um, which is a word I now hate. It means the general appearance or thingness of a thing. <laughs> That's good. It can be habit like a monk's habit or habit like a monk's routine. Hmm. Yeah. So there's a lot of cop-outs maybe in some of these translations. Yeah. Forma external. Well, that's not exactly new. It's not like people don't do that today. Yeah. So I guess uh, my thought process the last time I went about translating this, which in my book, it, I have it as external figures, which now I don't like anymore. I like outward appearance now because I was listening to the radio. Somebody said outward appearance, and I was like, wow, that sounds like what I was trying to say, but much, but in a much better and more understandable way. <laughs> um, but the, uh, basically the, uh, the Mina that I was looking at, I think I looked in like Grimm, I looked in like modern dictionaries too, and it's basically like the form or figure or like, I don't want to say silhouette because that's they didn't specifically say that, but that's kind of what comes to mind. Like when you see something, you see the form of it, you see the the figure of it, and also there was some. I think on Grimm, I don't, I don't remember exactly. I should have done more research before doing this, but um, something that that was pertinent was the idea of acting as if you're going to do something, whether you're going to do it or not. So I guess that kind of points towards deception, but it might not be because you might also be doing what it looks like you're intending to be doing, but you just might not be. But to me that- That's, that's where we get the outer intention from. Sorry? That's where we get the outer intention translation from maybe. Yeah, yeah. What would appearance? So oh, yeah. from that, so, so that that's kind of where I went with um, where I, where I, what I wanted to point to with outward appearance, because that's what the guy on the radio was saying. He was saying saying like, you know, he 
he is a one one way, but he needs to have an outward appearance for like the world to see whether that is how he is or not. I don't know. <laughs> Maybe there any things you're talking about. All right. So leaving aside how to translate this word, what are the actual sword fighting plays that follow on that this section of the Zettel's discussing? So, uh, so the first are... thing to know is that the sources don't agree. Yeah, that was the thing I was going to say. Probably the first thing to talk about is the word Verhawet, um, which turns up right at the beginning of this uh, play in all the sources, and also gets translated in various ways. But generally, is, is people... like the old, like, miss... Miss Hugh is one phrase. Or for... Verhawet could mean... But badly, it could mean cut in front of. Yeah, so fair is the, is a prefix which can sometimes mean bad, but it can also mean in front of or before, and it's been translated all those ways. So if he cuts before you, if he cuts in front of you, if he cuts poorly, or if it, or misuse is how I, I see it in Christian's translation here. One thing to keep in mind about Fahawan is that it's always used as a reflexive, which means it's always accompanied by, like, it always has to be, like, uh, zish or dish. So somebody misuse themselves, or somebody, or you misuse yourself. So nobody misuse somebody else. Right. So, which changes the meaning a lot of times. So that's I wish we had Joey here. Because so sometimes reflexive verbs don't aren't actually reflexive; they're just it's a linguistic thing, where no, you, the, the form is reflexive, but you don't understand it as reflexive. And I'm curious if that's what this is or not. Like in Spanish, when you say "murirse," you don't say "he died himself." You just say "he died." It's reflexive, anyways. Right. Yeah. So they they wouldn't translate, but it, does that have to be like said in the reflexive in Spanish? But it just translates as a normal, you know thing I it's typically it, it can be done either way but it's typically reflexive and then they in like it doesn't make sense in english when it's reflexive so we don't right, yeah it. so i think that would be the same way so you say like zishvahawen you don't have to say miss hughes himself you just you can just say miss you if that's what it means but all i'm saying is like the fact that it is reflexive changes the meaning or could change the meaning like than if it wasn't what do you think the difference is between? Well, the only reason I bring that up is because I search, uh, when I search for it in a modern German dictionary, I get it with the reflexive, and it means um, to be off the mark or to be like wide of the mark. So, so, so could it be something like when he does himself an oopsie? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. I think the, the thing which is interesting That's about the reflexive, the reflexive idea is that it means. It implies that it's something that the opponent is doing to a degree unprompted. Like, you aren't making them verhow. They're doing a verhowing. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that would lead for... That, that, would, that would mean that, that the uh, hue in front might, might be incorrect then. Unless it's if he hues in front of himself. Which, like, that's what everyone you know, does all the time. And it would for, lead to the mishues reading... I, Maybe it's that he hews in front of you as opposed to like actually at you because he cut too early, right? Well, but if it's I reflexive, don't... wouldn't it have to be himself? Yeah, so so he. I'm not enough himself. a grammar expert. Um, he hews in front of him. He he, 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 he four hews in front of himself. So so he miscuts himself. And um, and then you f you follow up his hue with one of your own, driving against him quickly. Yeah, so the second really interesting thing about Verhauert, uh, moving on from the grammar, is that this feels like a callback to the previous play, which we discussed in the last episode, where they do a cut, which you make sure it misses, and then you hit them. And this feel, like the way this is described, is very much a callback to that, except it isn't an explicit callback. It doesn't say as Stan's done previously or anything like that. Um, but what it's describing seems right. like the same basic action, or the All same right, basic me, situation. But that, let, let me let me. And clear the up. interesting thing is that. Go ahead, Steve. 
Okay, let me just clear up the, the four, like, in front of you issue here. So, in the second play of this for Lev, it says, Wann er sich vor dir verhauet. So, when he himself in front of you verhues, misuse. So, you have in front of you and you have sich verhauen. You have both of them. So, I don't think we can... The, the uh, in front of you is, uh, you know, affected by that at all. I think it's like Interesting. You know, off the mark and he's in front of, he's cutting in front of you or he's cutting off the mark in front of you. He's missing by cutting in front of you. So the interesting thing that to me here is that it, um, the previous play, the second not Dyson could be described as mishewing or doing in front or before you. Um, all of those might be right as true of it. So the question of which one of those aspects is the author calling out here is the defining one. And it sounds and like question. it's attacking poorly and not just attacking in front. The other question is, why didn't they use this word in the previous play? Which is really annoying. If they did, it yeah. would be much easier. Uh, but before we go further, I wanted to bring in the Latin again, because it actually has a different interpretation. In fact, that's not the thing I was going to ask next, but oh. um, which was, is this related to the failure? In a recent translation <sighs> discussion, my German reading co-translator mentioned that failure outside of sword fighting means like a shot that goes wide of the mark or something that completely misses like that. And so we were discussing whether it should be like, can we call it a whiff? Is that too silly? But it's not really a whiff either. And it's interesting it's because Fehler doesn't have Fehalen, but it does have Fezuken, um, which may or may not be related. Fezuken is the actual jerking your sword away from the bind. So the Latin, some of the times that it doesn't match closely, it's not actually annoying and because the guy's copping out, but in some places it's like he hears a technical term and realizes his audience won't get it and so writes down a description instead. This could be one of those. So the, again, this is the gloss and not the verse. When the adversary directs the longer strike downwards, this will take place. If you do not take it out, the strike flows down indeed in that same way. You, however, would overtake by hitting his strike, when therefore he quickly raises his sword back and takes out your forward attack. Strongly to your long edge, strongly then your long edge remains bound to his sword, and if he tries to shift upwards, then springing back, you place the left after the right foot of the enemy. And by transversing, or with another method, you will batter his head from the right side of the head. This truly, you will work quickly against the other side using an action of doubling, or elsewhere to generate a strike. During close observation, now he holds the sword strongly, or less so, and this is called the outward form. Thank you very much. That is clumsy as hell. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm so sorry, this is... So in that case, it would be the longer he directs, the longer strike downwards. I'm not uh, yes. criticizing the translation. I'm criticizing the guy who wrote the Latin. I mean, I can pretty much match, like yeah. phrase for phrase, kind of match it up with what the German love says. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, um, although the for Victor Hohen is like the first five Latin phrases, or like first four Latin phrases. Yeah, so it's the longer strike downwards thing is basically the thing which is filling in for Verhauen, right? Yeah, but also the stuff about the longer strike downwards and you don't do a thing with it, it just goes right by uh, so is all... That's, if you strike after him, is also in the German as a separate clause. Um, if we look at the color-coded version here. Yeah, in the German, it's implying that he does the verhau and you don't hit it, but you hew after him. Or it's four phrases that match up ah. one phrase. Okay, I was looking at the wrong paragraph. Yeah, so when the adversary directs the longer strike downwards, but this will take place if you do not take it out and the strike flows indeed the same way, is a very wordy way of saying if he misses you with the strike um, or if he misses you in front of you. But so in this case, they seem to be emphasizing the, the longness of the strike, which, again, lines up with the Nakaisen play where he's, where he's doing a free hue in front of you, and then you strike after that. Yeah, so 
I, I want to try and bring this back to the the physical action for modern fencers, and it seems to be something like they've they've whiffed in front of you, and rather than you striking into them, you're driving down onto their sword with a cut. So that's not my interpretation at all, but I don't know what Danzig Lev says. I literally haven't really read uh, it for this section. That's not what I have here either. Uh, my striking him, and he comes up and parries. Precisely. Yeah, this okay. is you're doing your knock Grayson, and shum, then he manages bang. to parry it. Uh, okay, so he's now doing like a fencing from the sweeps type. Yeah, he cuts through. You cut line. in. They cut back, and take out your sword with a parry and reach your sword with a parry and then you act off the parry. Uh, then the actual play itself is widely variable. Uh, ring excursion, which given that I'm already talking, we're going to cover first, is basically a mutieron type thing. They start to lift your sword up with their strong, uh, with strength, um, and you pretty much take the weak and drop your point down into the lower opening. I can demonstrate this play like and teach it, but I can't actually do it under pressure, at least my version of it. I haven't seen a better version of the Ring Act 1, though, so, one though, so anytime somebody actually lands that parry, I just lose the bind. And Dunzig and Lev have the same setup where you're, he, you bind, he, he's parrying your Nakreisen, and then he, you remain on his sword, and then if he heaves up fast with the sword, then you're going to leap with your left foot behind him and strike with its fair. So you're going to cut around from the bind and hit him. And then, so he's strong, so you're going to be weak. You're going to cut around and then double if he manages to parry that fair. So from this left side bind, it's a fair and then a, and then a, a duplair in. You're not cutting, around, cutting on the same side. Yeah, it's redoubling the attack on the same side. Yeah. Normally will be. Oh, I'm in mis- red. He's cut down, right? which means that they've gone from probably your upper left to your lower right. You cut in, so the parry is probably with your sword on the left and their sword on your right, and you cut onto their their right, which is your left. So you're going from the bind to the opening without going around the whole thing. So n- none of our listeners can watch us waving imaginary cutlery. This isn't helping. <laughs> Uh, I think I think I think you're cutting around because if you're you're binding on the left side because he had his sword on your right side. Yeah, you're both on the wrong side. Cut. So now you're both on the wrong side. But you're striking him. You're, str- you're striking him on the left. Uh, yeah. Oh, on his right side. And so then yeah, you're basically you, you have okay. a bind which I'm, is I'm on the right hand side of your sword, where his sword is on the right hand side of your sword, and from that you go straight to the opening and then do clear behind. Right, so he, he's strong, so you're going to stay on the same side, and you're going to work yeah. with a cut to the head, and then go behind his sword. Um, Lev also has a second play here, um, which is only in Lev and in Nicholas, or Rascal, is, as Steve calls it, which um, says when he cuts in front of you, you do the same thing, blah, blah, blah. And then when you get to the parry, if he comes in Des with the thwart uh, under his sword against it, uh, uh, all right, so you, you do the whole fair thing, uh, but this time you're going to his left side, and then, or you can spring with your left foot on his right side and strike after him to his right side, these or are, you can these slice are basically over his like head. an abridged version of uh, Danzig's counters to the Tverhau. You have the under Tver, you have the, yeah. I guess, going over. I don't know if that one's in Danzig, and you have the slice to the hands when he tries to Tver. The thing that always confused me about this is what what side you're right. binding on, because it says you're binding like it's it it tells you what side, but it's just confusing. If you then bind onto his sword against his left side, so usually in order to do these like counters, you would have to have a normal bind. Then he cuts around, and then you do like you know your normal side spare under. But if it's the same bind as before, then you're doing that on the opposite side, right? So but then if from... it's the normal side, then how does he get to that bind? Like, how do you bind like that from that setup? I don't know. I it just it confuses yeah. me. 
the one thing I would say is that looking at the left here, it says that he strikes around from the bind to your right, which probably means it's a normal bind. Because if it was the weird backwards bind you'd get otherwise, he wouldn't be striking around, he'd just be striking straight. Right. So, by, so wait, bind onto his sword against his left side, what does that mean to you? Uh, I think that means a normal bind. Because like, if I'm in a normal bind, their left side is the side I'm like directly going towards. So their left side is my right side. If I'm binding on my right side, then that's a normal bind. Yeah. So what are they doing? They're, they're for howling, and then they're coming around to the other side with their sweep and binding that way? Maybe some no, weird like, circle thing. I don't know. Or, or maybe they're going up to a hanging parry. Or maybe they cut really straight down and they've just lifted straight back up. Like, completely straight. And now the parry's on the other side. Maybe. Um, but anyway, you end up with something like this where somebody's acting off the bind. Uh, it's coming off of her howling, whatever. Uh, and it's just continuations off the bind from there. Um, the Rayak one parallels quite nicely with the other one, where they both have this idea of from a bind, you move onto their weak while they're busy trying to move your sword around, and you thrust them while they do it, uh, which plays quite nicely with a knock rise idea of like chase their weak, follow their weak, pursue their weak, whatever, uh, which is quite nice. I don't know how you make the Lev one fit with knock rise here. So the, the Danzig Lev version, I kind of, especially Lev, I kind of see as counters against the sweeps because you have, so if someone's sweeping against you and a bind is created from that, then what are their options? Either they try to fight against the bind or they leave the bind and cut around. And both of those are kind of covered here. I guess in reality, there's more options. You could like disengage or, you know, do other stuff. But once a bind is created, you have like a strong option and a weak option. If he's strong and pushes up against you, you do the first one. If he's, you know, if you're strong and he feels your strength and cuts around, then you do the second stuff. Yeah, although the fact that they're maybe on opposite sides of the bind throws a slight monkey wrench into That's true. That. But is there, is there any reason that you couldn't if do If they were both on the same side, then it would just be a simple strong and weak options treat. Right. But is there any reason that you couldn't? I'm slightly troubled by the left by the binding of his left side part. Is there any reason you couldn't do both of these on like the opposite side though, on both sides? I don't think so. He could just be switching sides to give you more options. I guess it's a yeah, weird. Yeah, I mean, it could be though. like if he binds on this side, do this thing, and if he binds on that side, do that thing. But it's not. But it's quite the same setup because in one he's binding hard, and in one he's binding weak. And he's doing them on opposite sides too, which is, seems like an unnecessary complication, but maybe not that important. Yeah. In Danzig, it's kind of just like a random play with no context. I feel. Right. <laughs> yeah, I think Lev is the only one that goes into the test the attacks if they're soft and hard verse, effectively, giving you soft and hard options. Ringek and Danzig are both sort of. If he's hard, do this. Ring now tells you specifically on. that they're doing something with strength. If they aren't doing something with strength, you just hit them already. Like hitting somebody when they're soft mm -hmm. is easy. Right, but he doesn't say just hit them if they're weak. He doesn't cover weakness of, yeah. or softness or whatever. That's he doesn't. Why, that's true. That's why none of this text ever talks about what to do when they're soft. To be fair. Well, I mean, I would consider the Tver to the other side to be a soft action. Because you're disengaging from the bind, and that's the definition of softness, isn't it? Or the most extreme well, kind of softness, rather. Well, I would say if they've left the bind, then there is no hard or soft anymore. That's well. What's a soft action if it isn't disengaging? Winding into ox. Is it? Yeah. Whatever they're giving you, they're weak. They're they're softening, which you have to do, of course, if you're going to stab somebody. You have to eventually be soft. And that's when, if you didn't do it at the right time, you give them an opportunity to overtake you. If you've ever done like a winding drill, then where like you have to be in, you have to remain in the bind no matter what. That's usually how it goes down. 
eventually you have to attack the person. I think, I think Ox can be a very strong position. Sure, it can be. It depends on where the bind is. So Sorry. to me, a soft bind is when I'm pulling away from the bind. So I'm not giving you pressure. That's softness. And a hard bind is when I'm pushing into the Oh, you know what? You know what? I'm not really distinguishing against... And if I'm pulling away from the bind, that probably means I'm attacking to a different opening. I'm not, I'm not really distinguishing very well against soft and hard and strong and weak here. You're just, I think I was, just not being anal enough, Steve. <laughs> I think I was thinking not, not, not enough of a pedant for this conversation. Jesus. Yeah, I was thinking more about strong and, and weak here. I think um, soft and hard are a middle blade characteristic, but I guess we can talk about that next episode. And little question Do we want to talk about the old slice here now? Or do we want to? Uh, we could do like an old slice episode. Whoa. Well, we should. We we need to do the second outro taking, yeah. Uh, we have to do the second cattle drive first. No, we've only done the first one. No, no, there, there's a third one in time and a second one in Ringek and Danzig. So this, the second one in Ringek is nice and easy. Which, to me, sounds almost like he's giving you a counter. It, it almost sounds like he's giving you a counter to the first one, but he doesn't call it yeah, that. Yeah, it could be. It doesn't it quite be applied to counter way. on the first one. Basically, um, Ringek's version of this says whenever you're fencing from a low guard, um, or a low attacks, um, if they uh, fall with their sword on yours, or if they lay their sword on yours, if they you know put their sword on yours, which is a thing people often do for this, and then they try to wind on your sword before you come up and stay strong on your sword uh, and work their point in, then you follow their sword and take the weak of their sword with a long edge and press it down and stab them to the face. So this again has this idea that I was drawing a parallel to the previous ring act play of following their weak in a bind. I normally teach people this with like a really elegant little as like a really elegant little move where um, they put their sword on top of yours and then as they turn their point in towards your face, you bring your hilt across and carry their point aside. Um, it's very pretty. I'm Good luck honest, doing it. I forgot about this one. <laughs> so whereas in live, what he says is same beginning. You uh, if you're fighting from the understrike or from strike in or the guard fool slash tree. Um, if he falls with his sword on yours before you come up, then remain on his sword and lift upwards. If he will then heal you from the parrying or winding of the sword, then let him not come off from the sword, follow after him, and work to the nearest opening. So basically, if he's going to fall on top of your sword, then don't let him leave the sword and instead do your noble ward type game to find yeah. his opening and stab him. Like the ring one, I basically would read as a special case of that action. It has the same idea. Which is funny because it mentions winding in and lev, but then he tells you not to let him to get away from your sword, which if he's winding, he's not trying to get away from your sword. So I'm not sure how that ended well, up there. It seems like if he just said, if he'll cut from the parry, well, that makes more sense. That maybe more he'll sense. try doing the mutiering thing. Maybe he'll try doing the Tvercopter thing. Just stick on the sword and be better. Easy. It looks like uh, Danzig also adds, um, or if he strikes around from the sword, follow after or pursue him with the long with the point again as before. I guess Lev already uh, covered that in, in his previous yeah. technique where the other person's cutting around. Yeah, I think this is, this is a good um, uh, kind of balance for what we just heard of, the other side of it, as the person yeah. from below rather than the person who's on top. I don't know. I don't have much to say about so, that. So Ringek calls this the second outer taking, outer mina, but the other ones do not. They just say, here's a good knock rice in play. Yeah. The, and, and Danzig doesn't really address why the verse says there's two different ones, even though because he, he's only giving you one. Yeah. The thing I find with the Ringek one is that, like, at least for the interpretations I have, both of them have a similar vibe to them, despite being quite different plays. So I don't mind them being a pair. It's obviously not like a left-right pair or something, but they they have a similar underlying concept going on with both of the actions. So, it seems to work. Uh, should we take on Hans Madel's undertaking or do the old slice first? No, let's talk about important stuff first. Then if we have time, we can talk about Goof. <laughs> Poor Hans Madel. So before the old slice, how about this, this last line, which I think is really good. You shall also pursue him out of all hues and out of all guards as soon as you recognize when he mishues in front of you uh, with the sword, or make sure that you similarly do not open yourself nor mishue with the pursuit. 
and note that to both sides. So you can do this out of all guards and all views. So Macrison really is everything. But also don't get greedy. Yeah. Don't let him do that to you. Don't let your opponent Macrison against you. That's perfect, everybody. Yep, just don't. It's not worth it. Yeah, just don't fence. If you don't fence at all, then... Then you, then you never voreshoe yourself. Yeah. If you don't fence, you never lose. Um, but yeah, the this section is quite good. And the idea of recognizing when they're making openings and attacking into them safely on any side and from any guard is really relevant. Um, you can definitely lose openings if you're not like mentally ready to capitalize on them when they happen. Cool. It also really broadens the definition of Nakrison here when it tells you you can do it anytime. Travel after him from all hues and from all guards as quickly as you can. So it's sort of is it's Nakrison isn't just these plays, but it's any time that you're pursuing him from any attacker guard. Well that calls back to quite early in Danzig when it says that like Nakrison is one of the only ways you ever start engaging. Um Yeah. So he's right. bringing it all together again. Do, do we want to do an old slice mini episode or carry on in this one? No, old slice won't take that long. Okay, all right. Let's do the old so, slice. To be clear, we're right. not going to skip over Indes and see it later, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Indes is going to be a separate episode. Yeah, we're jumbling the order here to try and help our listeners understand things. Is that fair enough to say? Yes. So old slice. There's this little mini section here, all about Indes and being in the moment and just living your life and instead we're going to move on to the old slice and the old slice is a type of deodorant that had a really good advertising campaign where you're on a horse yeah there's a kind of boat <laughs> yep now the old slice is uh so the old slice is a play in the section which like actually works um it's great what yeah i've done this sparring before how does it go t Again, I don't know about Danzig's version. Uh, Ringex version is fairly simply whenever they they do their Verhawa thing, uh, you chase with a hue to an opening. Um, if they bind on your sword, then as soon as the swords come together, then drop your sword on their arm or into their face. So you're slicing down from being above in the bind? Yeah, they're basically, they come up, your sword is a little bit on top of and behind theirs, and you just ping off as soon as the swords come into contact and go straight into an opening. Okay. Yeah, it's um, the same. Interestingly, Lev is the same as Ringek here. Yeah. Basically. Dotsig, I think, is the same too, except he wants to slice the face first, right? Uh, it just has the neck um, or follow with the long edge over his arms. So he skips the face and then puts the neck first and the arm second. Gotcha. So. Yeah, Ringek has the arm and the mouth. Yeah, it's all the same, basically. In our and Lev has the arm game, in the mouth. Would this be a successful action, or would it just be considered a, an unsuccessful cut? I reckon you can get this uh, done successfully. What you want to do to make it... The times I've done this most efficiently have been when they're trying to like step forward as well as part of trying to make their cover. Um, and you just kind of, as soon as the blade contact happens, you push in very sharply and you get quite a lot of oomph on them, especially if you land it on the neck, because they're stepping forwards. So you sort of trap their head and their body goes out and then it looks really like a really convincing hit. But it's a pretty easy... If you're wise to the timing it's likely to happen and it's a pretty easy action to make because you essentially are moving the moment you feel the blade contact begin, which is a fairly sharp movement to do. Like, it works uh, reasonably efficiently. Getting the overslice on the arms is a bit more of a challenge, uh, but getting it into the face or neck just somewhere in the upper the upper body target is quite easy. Cool. So why would we ever do that weird spare howl on the same side to do clearing thing when we can just do this? Uh, because, I don't know. Because judges see fair yeah. Judges love fair I sure. do think actually that the Tverhau one works better if they are trying to abort and get out of distance. Like it closes, it lets you close in on distance more. Uh, whereas this one, at least the way I find it works, works best when they're coming into you quite decisively. 
So if they're like realizing they're they've miscut and are trying to jump backwards while they're pairing or something, I'd probably find it easier to try and chase them with some sort of square housing. So that might be. Oh, a no. I think I just know too many fences that would ignore the blade action in this old slice and go for a grapple. When you've got yeah, a, a, like your sword straight in front of their face, they can't go forwards. It's like any slice action. It should physically stop them. Whereas a slice to the arms ought to push their arms down to where they can't attack anymore, right? Yeah, it pushes their hands. Or the side. picture in Ring Act shows them at like waist height. To the neck, like I'd normally try to sort of cut in and then basically extend the arms forward and out. And you end up with mm -hmm. a somebody trying to rush in on that is basically running through a steel clothesline at the height of their neck. Okay, I need to experiment with this. Uh, try it on Adrian, it works quite well. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Adrian. Uh, all right, uh, let's spend five minutes on weird and wonderful plays. But I have another question. What is the old slice? What makes it old? It's not any of the other slices. Therefore, it's the old slice. It's not one of the four. <laughs> It's a, it's a funny funny ter term for something. But it's pretty consistent, isn't it? Yeah, it's constant. All the glosses have it. And maybe the, it's uh, just the title has it, it too. Maybe it was to make the title rhyme. Then you did an extra is, adjective for a schnitt. This is a silly question. But the certainly in Lev, it's Alton as old. Yeah. What's high again? Hi, or yeah, yeah. Why? Uh, no, the other the other theory I've heard is that it might just mean make a the slice we talked about previously, which I guess would be in the Tverhau. Maybe. My my wild theory. My my wild but, theory is, is that this is a gloss for the. Uh, the last couplet of the uh, Scheidelhau. Press the sweeps, they withdraw with slicing or something. Because um, they're sweeping up from Alber and you're doing Scheidelhau. So if they sweep up against that, you just press the sweep and then fall on their hands with the slice and then, I guess, withdraw from there whenever you're ready after you've pressed down. But... Who knows? Right, weird plays for five minutes. Weird plays. You mean oh. Hans Madel? Yeah, I have no I mean. idea what Hans Madel is talking about in this section. It's completely opaque, but very long. He has two inner and two outer mina. And they seem to be weird plays that involve engaging ox with your own ox and engaging plow with your own plow and maybe doing some kind of winding thingy. But, but yeah, it's bizarre, and I've never seen a really good interpretation, and no idea. I've never but seen a really good interpretation of anything in Madel. What? I've never seen a really good interpretation of anything in Madel. Oh, come on. Christian has some good Madel stuff. Yeah, okay, that's fair. You like some of his Madel stuff. You've told me. No, that's a reasonable point. I don't know, I don't know how faithful his stuff is to the text all the time, but... It, Seems to work okay. Um, but by and large, Madel is a neglected source, so we can't say a judgment oh, yeah. based on the existing interpretations. That's just he like a whole page of this stuff. He beat me in a, uh, in a kung fu competition, so obviously his jutsu is better. <laughs> a kung fu Fair. competition, you say? Well, he, yeah, he beat me when we, we fenced in this tournament in Australia, and he beat me there, so obviously his, his kung fu is better. No, I, I thought you were talking about the forms. Why, why don't you name the next form competition the Min competition? <laughs> you could just set entire, uh, all of the different versions of this as the different set plays. Ending with Hans yep. Madel. You make them work for it. If you Hans can Madel show the judges any working ball. interpretation of yeah. any Hans Madel Alter Mina play, you win the gold medal. But so Maybe we should end on this note, which is maybe the reason why the phrase also mine doesn't really seem to make a lot of sense or relate to the plays at all is because none of the glossators had a 
first clue what was going on. And they just invented plays that kind of worked, needed a home. Because even even if you look at, like, say, Lev, where it all makes pretty good sense and is fairly consistent. I mean, Ringek is all right, too. There's nothing outer about it, really. And whatever Mina means, you're also not taking anything if it's Nima. So the name doesn't really seem to pertain to the technique at all. And that's sort of a, just a, a bizarre thing here, that we have some pretty good plays and no idea why they're called this. And no one even makes an attempt to say, it's called this because. And then Ringek disagrees with Danzig and Lev and Madel disagrees with everyone. Nice. Yeah. All we really know is that they're, they're definitely not Grison. And they seem pretty close to this old slice play, which is not an Auser Minor. And that's about it. But everything is not Grison. So really, they could have put it anything. Is, yeah. <laughs> and presumably, they did. The old slice is not Grison. What does he say? Um, he just doesn't use his word for not Grison at all in that part, um, which is. Urgendi, uh, Urgendi Hustum, pressing the opponent hard. It's just not on this page. He also doesn't call it old. It's just slice. Well, well yeah. without, the, uh, without the title holding it together, you wouldn't have to, because the only reason that this is not Kreisen is because the title couplet has not Kreisen in it. I don't think yeah, it's... Right. I think, yeah. Well, I guess the Ferhauen also kind of ties it to the other plays, but... All right. Thank you very much for listening, everybody. Uh, we've been Michael Chittister, Kendra Brown, Stephen Cheney, and TQ. And I've been Mike, your host, Mike Smorridge. Thanks for listening.